We present Imagine by Nigel Banks. Read by Jim Newbury. Tickets, please! He felt a nudge on his shoulder, which catapulted him back to reality. Sorry, he mumbled as he groped in his pocket for his wallet and felt the colour suffusing his cheeks with the public embarrassment of keeping the train manager, as they now like to be known, waiting. I was miles away he added by way of explanation, and immediately regretted the needless remark. I could tell, sir, said the train manager, as he squiggled an indecipherable rune on the ticket and handed it back. He moved on down the carriage, repeating his costermonger's call of, Tickets, please! Have your tickets ready for inspection, please! And left Hobson to his ruminations. He squinted at the ticket, which now bore the official mark of approval. The blue ink of the looped hieroglyphic cut across the names of departure point and destination. London Euston and Liverpool Lime Street, as if to remind him of the purpose of his journey, to attend the funeral of a former colleague. Jim Sweeney had been his head of department for his first teaching post and had nursed him through his probationary year at Quarry Bank School. It was famous for being John Lennon's alma mater, but little else. He remembered that such was the fame of the former Beatle, that all the school photographs taken during his inglorious academic career there had had to be removed from the corridor walls in order to prevent souvenir hunters from stealing them. The ones that remained contained the odd example of that well-tried schoolboy prank, the doppelganger. A boy standing at one end of the massed ranks of pupil and staff would take advantage of the camera's slow panoramic sweep by running round the back of the elevated back row in time to appear, grinning inanely at the other side. And therefore, his image would appear twice, indelibly for posterity. Popjoy, the head, eventually tired of the ruse and would station John Davidson, the burly ex-marine caretaker, in the appropriate position to block the path of any future would-be doppelgangers. The practice, not surprisingly, soon ceased, and the school scallies had to look elsewhere for their kicks. <laughs> one bright spark scaled the roof of the main building one weekend and hoisted a Jolly Roger from the flagpole. Popjoy's typically laconic response was to announce at Monday morning's assembly that, contrary to popular belief, the school is not now under new management. <laughs> Happy days. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. The lyrics of Lennon's famous anthem for world peace drifted into his mind. The touching naivety of the song's sentiment never failed to move him. What would Lennon think of the state of geopolitics now, Hobson wondered. Jihadist terrorism, global macroeconomics, an ecological meltdown. The poor lad wouldn't know what had hit him. The words of a 21st century alternative version sprang into his head. Imagine there's no Lehman, it's easy if you try. No interest rate below us, above us only sky. TV. He tried to pursue the search for modern equivalents to interpolate into Lennon's original lyrics, but soon gave up the thankless task and looked out of the window. The train had left Warrington Bank Key Station behind and was now threading its way past Widnes towards the Merseyside metropolis and Journey's End. 
Hobson's penchant for trivia caused him to reflect on the town of Witness's main claim to fame. The American singer-songwriter Paul Simon was reputed to have written the words to his well-known homesickness ditty, Homeward Bound, whilst waiting for a train there sometime back in the early 60s. Hardly a ringing endorsement for the town's charms. His thoughts turned to Jim Sweeney. Where was he now? Up in heaven, alongside Lennon? If he were, he'd be engaging him in earnest debate about a whole range of topics, and he certainly wouldn't be starstruck. On the other hand, as Jim was a staunch atheist, heaven would be an alien concept for him. But at least he'd be in good company, as Lennon didn't want to believe in it either, if his famous imagined lyrics were to be believed. Hobson assumed, therefore, that the ceremony tomorrow at the crematorium would be devoid of any God-bothering claptrap, as Jim would call it. He'd had some right royal run-ins with Derek Halstead, the muscularly Christian deputy head and Methodist lay preacher. On one famous occasion, the staff room air had been turned blue by the strength of Sweeney's graphic invective when Halstead had tried to veto his plan to stage Dr Faustus by Christopher Marlowe as that year's school production. Halstead, or Zipper as he was known behind his back, on account of his sartorial habit of wearing grey suits with high-waisted trousers which boasted preternaturally long flies, accused Jim of promoting anti-Christian propaganda and being an agent of the devil. It all came to nothing in the end, as a strike by tanker drivers that winter forced the school to close for a few weeks of term, and the play was cancelled that year. The remembrance of Halstead's nickname naturally turned Hobson's thoughts to the one he had been labelled with at Quarry Bank. His shoulders trembled as he chortled inwardly at the memory. Not long after he joined the staff, he began to notice that he had been awarded the sobriquet of Such. It had niggled him, because he could discern no obvious connection with his actual names, or think of any circumstance which would have given rise to the bestowal of the nickname. He didn't dare lose what little credibility he had as a promotioner by asking a colleague what might lie behind the mystery, and he certainly wasn't going to ask a pupil. Thus, the puzzle had remained unsolved for over two years. By this time, he had gained promotion to a more prestigious school in Cheshire. He was batting out time during the final weeks of the summer term at Quarry Bank when the head of geography, Terry Fox, invited him to come along on a weekend field trip to Snowdonia that he'd organised for his lower six students. Hobson had been happy to oblige. He wasn't married then and had no particular commitments. It would also enable him to spend some informal time in the company of students, several of whom he had taught over the last couple of years and would soon be leaving behind at the end of term. The topic of nicknames cropped up during the group's walk up Snowdonia, so he had grasped the opportunity to unravel the such mystery at long last. He chose Pat Scarrett to be his informant. Pat's real name was Martin, but the popularity of the film Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid at the time ensured that he was known to all and sundry as Pat. His face had cracked into a broad smile when Hobson asked him, Oh yeah, don't you remember, sir? You'd just started teaching us. You were a bit late coming to a lesson one afternoon. Some of the lads were messing, so we sent a couple out into the corridor to watch out for you coming up the stairs. When they saw you, one of them shouts out, Harry, Hobson's coming. When you came in the classroom, you were dead mad with us. You said, If I happened to be delayed, I expect you to wait quietly in your seats, not hanging over the banisters. Furthermore, my name is Mr Hobson, and I wish to be known as such. And so you were, sir.
that sparkling, razor-sharp Scouse wit. Hobson had missed it when he moved to the more genteel academic pastures of Cheshire. Poor Pat Scarrett. He'd had to leave school a few weeks later. His dad got arrested for burglary and was sent down for a stretch in Walton Jail, so the family needed another breadwinner. His chances of going to university were scuppered. Hobson had learnt some time afterwards that Pat had got in with the wrong crowd and was in danger of following in his old man's footsteps. A tragic motorbike accident had subsequently ended his life prematurely. Poor Pat. Such a promise cut short. Like flies to wanton boys are we to the gods. They kill us for their sport. Not for the first time. The portentous lines from King Lear flashed through Hobson's mind as he pondered the fickleness of fate. He himself had been granted a relatively easy life. Why should he have deserved it? He had no special merit or talents, if he was honest. Just your average, middle-of-the-road, fairly conscientious schoolteacher. He didn't have charisma or that star quality in the classroom which could inspire his pupils like Jim Sweeney and certain other colleagues he'd worked with over the last 40 years. His only real achievement was tenacity. He'd stuck it out to the bitter end when many of his peers had got out early. Now, here he was, approaching retirement with the prospect of a comfortable pension to see him through the rest of his days. A gentle, gradual decline into decrepitude, no doubt. Better to have gone out in a blaze of glory. Struck down in your prime like Lennon or Pat. Surely, imagine that. You intending to stay here all night? The train manager's voice roused him once more from his reverie. He looked round to take in the empty stationary carriage now safely arrived at its Liverpool destination. As he walked out of the station onto Lime Street, the setting sun shone directly into his eyes, causing him to blink. He paused to take in his surroundings, which were at once familiar, yet also changed since his last visit to the city several years ago. In some strange way, it, it felt like coming home, without any conscious effort. He found himself singing those Lennon lyrics again as he made his way to the hotel. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. All short stories were edited and compiled by Robert Burgess. And this was an old Dolly production. <laughs>